You're listening to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. The podcast is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, grow brand awareness, and create better content. I am Jeremy Shear, and my guest today is Melanie Diesel. Melanie is Chief Content Officer at StoryFuel, a company that helps brands tell better stories. And Melanie is also author of the book, Prove It, Exactly How Modern Marketers Earn Trust. Melody, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our chat. Yeah, so our topic today is repurposing content. But since I just mentioned that you're the author of Prove It, which you very, and I'm going to hold it up so people watching the video can can see it. And Melody sent this to me in the in the mail, which was really nice. I've started to read the book. It's really, really good. Tell us just a little bit about the book, like the gist of what it's about. Yeah. So the book is all about the way that so many of us create content. We kind of often decouple that from the process of building trust and building relationships with our audience. You know, we we think of content as a tool for sales, a tool for marketing, but not so much as a tool for trust. So the book is really walking you through how you can identify the claims you're making and then use your content as a way to prove those claims out to, to kind of bring the receipts or show the evidence to help build, you know, build loyalty and, and deepen that relationship of trust with your audience. Okay. Awesome. So we'll put a link to the book. I'm, I'm assuming you can get it on Amazon and probably a lot of other places. So we'll yeah. put a link to, to Amazon in the show notes and people can check it out. Okay. So let's dive into our topic, which is repurposing content. I think every B2B marketer is familiar with the concept and just knows that you can, you have to repurpose your content. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Have like pillar content, repurpose it. It's, so Let's just start with something that may seem really obvious and basic, but I think it's worth at least, you know, just getting your thoughts on like, why is repurposing content such an important thing to do, like such a central concept? You know, there's there's a couple different benefits, but I think the one that's most pertinent right now is like everyone is strapped for resources. I don't know of a single content marketing comms person who says, yeah, I have the exact size team that I want. I have all the budget that I want and I have all the time in the world to do these projects, right? So repurposing your content is a way to kind of save on all of those things. You know, you may be able to reduce your need for headcount if you're able to make use of what you already have. You may be able to reduce your budget by not having to hire as much or create as much new content. And you you even may be able to save a bunch of time because there's a good chance that the content you already have has way more life left in it that you just haven't, you know, sort of used to its full potential. So I think that's honestly, those are probably the biggest is, you know, getting back time, money, other resources to, to focus on other things. Yeah. Okay. So I think the more content you have, on the one hand, the, the more opportunity you have to repurpose but also just the more complicated the whole thing is and like, where do you start? Which content do you repurpose? How do you repurpose it? So can you walk us through your strategy for doing this? How do you re how do you go about repurposing content in the, in the best way? Yeah. So I think a lot of times people think of re repurposing your content as sort of this binary thing, like either we haven't repurposed it or we have, but really it's more of like a flywheel and kind of the evolution of the way that you use your content. So 
the first thing you can do is just use the content as it is somewhere else, which is copying your content, right? So using the body of a blog post as the body of an email, for example, to just send that out in full, reuse something that you have. But you can also grab pieces of it. So my guess is a lot of folks are already doing this, whether that's getting short clips from our conversation being used to promote the the full conversation we're having here, or, you know, the best stat or quote from a particular piece you create being made into an infographic, for example. So there's copying, excerpting. Updating is is one of the biggest opportunities, I think, that's really often overlooked. That, you know, the content that you already have on your site, if you're you're taking a look at what's working well and what's not, and looking for opportunities to improve that existing content before you're worried about making too many new pieces of content. There's a lot of data that shows you can see a, a pretty substantial increase in traffic if you're able to update the relevance of some of those older posts. So that might mean giving it a new image, you know? This is something actually we saw quite a bit during during the early days of the pandemic. Remember, there was this moment where everyone was like, oh my gosh, you know, we have to do things virtually instead of in person now, and we're wearing masks, whereas we weren't before. There was this mad dash to go update your content to show photos of people in masks or mm. show a Zoom meeting instead of a handshake, right, in an article, because that article is still relevant, but with the wrong header image, it seems like it's not, right? Like we're not gathering in big spaces or we're not having right. a meeting in person. So even something as simple as changing out the photo can help, you know, something that you've already mm. created stay relevant. But there's lots of other opportunities too. adding new information, you know, changing the headline to see if a different, you know, positioning or framing is going to help. There's there's a lot of different ways. And, and there's you know, you can also reformat the content, curate it into mm. collections. There's there's a lot of options out there. But I think seeing repurposing as more of a, a holistic process rather than a mm. did I reuse this or not kind of opens up the field for lots more options for you. Yeah. OK, I think that's that's a useful well, you're not exactly making a distinction, but I think you're including updating content within the larger umbrella of repurposing, right? Absolutely. Which, yeah. Yeah. Which, which it's all kind of part of the same process, right? Yeah. Because I think, you know, we put content out and a lot of times because we're part of, you know, this marketing machine, you may assume that when you put the content out, it's done, right? Like I've done, I've done my diligence, I've given it its best shot and like I'm setting it free into the world like a baby bird and, and I hope it flies. But there's sort of this follow up of being able to make use of it in new places when you copy it or, you know, updating it so that it gets new life again. There's a lot of different ways you can do that throughout the continued life of the content so that you're not just putting it out and letting it be. You're kind of continuing to, to build, make it more of a flywheel and part of your process. Yeah. You know, it's funny, by the way, that you mentioned that example of people putting up pictures with people with masks on, because mm -hmm. <laughs> of course, everybody noticed that as did I. And I like my, and I totally understood why companies were doing it, you know, for the yeah. reason that you explained. I actually found it incredibly annoying, just personally. I was like, I don't want to see more masks. Yeah. You know, like, I yeah. don't want to wear the mask myself. It's so, like, I, I did it, but, you know, yeah. I'm just like, now everywhere you look, there are people in masks. But anyway, but your yeah. point stands that, of course, it yeah. just wanted, they wanted it to look more relevant for the time that everyone 100%. was going through. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was a timely example, but yeah, there's, there's tons of yeah. ways. I mean, it's it's hard sometimes because a lot of us have to use stock photos and stock photos can start to feel dated if, yeah. you know, someone's using a Razor flip phone in one of your best performing blog posts from eight years ago. Like, 
probably want to update it to an iPhone because that article is still getting traffic. It's still, you don't want it to look old, you know? So that I think is like, even if all you take away from this conversation is to go look at your content that you already have that's performing best and see how you can update and improve it and reuse it, you'll you'll have a huge opportunity on your hands already. What about content that's not performing as well? Can the same logic kind of apply to say like, okay, it's not performing as well. Let's redo it so that it performs better. Definitely. I mean, I think there's there's kind of a fine line here that's a little tough to give a universal prescription. Sometimes content doesn't do well just because people don't want it. Like it's not interesting or it's not useful. It's not valuable. That's going to be hard to fix with a new headline or a new photo or a couple new facts dropped in, right? But if you are sure that this content has value, for example, the people who are coming to this content are staying for a long time, are watching it three quarters of the way through, you know, they're really deeply engaging. It's just not getting people. That's a good indicator that this is something that maybe the headline just wasn't that compelling. You know, maybe the headline is not using the right keyword. It's not attracting the right audience. Uh, there's there's lots of cool things you can do to kind of just, you know, breathe a little new life onto it. And photos and headlines are, are sort of the easiest low-hanging fruit that you can test out and try new things with. But you can also, you know, update content within it. You can add more imagery throughout. You could turn it into an infographic and add that to the page. There's There's lots of things you can do. But the key is identifying those opportunities. So either continuing mm-hmm. to boost your best stuff, like we said, or finding new stuff or rather finding stuff that's not performing that you can kind of give, you know, add some, add some sprinkles on top and give it a fresh coat of paint. Mm-hmm. So how much time do you think that the typical content marketing team should spend on this relative to the amount of time they're spending creating new content? This might be controversial, but I think it should be roughly equal. Mm. And, and that may, again, may seem controversial, but the reality is more content is not the answer to most marketing questions, right? Like just purely creating more content is not going to solve a heck of a lot of problems. You're much better off making sure that the content you have is doing what you want it to do. And that involves updating, you know, repurposing it, you know, curating collections of your most, most common stuff. There's just so much more you can do with the content you have. And I think, if we could all take a deep breath and relieve some of that pressure of feeling like I've got to put out, you know, X pieces of content per day or per week, it allows a lot more room for improving your craft. Yeah. You know, it struck me recently that most brands or let's say most B2B brands have like probably around four or five core messages, you know, that, that, that their value proposition like revolves around or that articulates their value proposition. And really, and and so a lot of content ends up sort of, you know, saying, touching on those things from different angles in different ways, right? And I, and, and, but I, I hear what you're saying, like, to just kind of stick to those things, and then take the content that's working best, sounds really smart, as opposed to trying to put out more and more and more, and, and even like stretching the boundaries of what we're talking about. Because, yeah. To kind of get bored with like the same things you're saying, be like, well, what about maybe let's talk about all these other things? I mean, I think I guess there are pros and cons to that, but yeah, it's, it would seem well, like you could easily kind of get off track and start creating content that really isn't very relevant for your business or your audience. Yeah, it's it's tempting if you're feeling like you're on that hamster wheel of like, I need something new to post. I need something new to post, you know, every couple hours, every every day that does create a ton of pressure and it's hard 
do quality at that scale, right? Like yeah. unless you have a huge team and everyone's able to dedicate lots of time to each individual piece, it's tough. So you are going to find yourself either creating lower quality stuff or just veering off course and the content's not really serving your core business goals or your core business message anymore. I don't recommend stopping the creation of new content because I do think that is important for a number of reasons. But I have found that generally speaking, and I'm sure there's exceptions. If you're an exception, let me know. But generally speaking, we don't see almost any dedicated effort to updating content, re reformatting existing content, creating spinoffs of content that worked really well, as opposed to just trying something entirely new. So I think there's a lot of lost potential there that could be super valuable to, to put some dedicated effort toward. Yeah. Now I want to pivot here for one second, since we yeah mentioned your book up front, I, I want to ask a question related to the book, which again is called Prove It Exactly How Modern Marketers Earn Trust. And I mean, I think this is relevant to what we were just talking about, because I think the the strongest content is often content that has data, right? Or that marshals data and that can support claims yeah. with heart, with evidence, right? So, and that's really what your book is all about, sort of the the art and science of doing that, right? So, how, when you're, when you're going for that, you know, creating content with claims supported by data, how do you, how do you know which, do you need to back up every claim with data or how do you know, like, which claims are the most important and the, the extent to which you need to kind of prove them? So this is a really good question. And um, actually, I'm working on building out an assessment that folks can take to help them identify exactly that, because it is such an important question. Broad strokes, it's going to be the ones that are most important for your audience to understand in order to trust you. So if you are, if your major selling point is that, you know, we have next day delivery and, you know, it's, it's incredibly fast and convenient, then those are the claims that you're like, you want to be backing up those convenience mm -hmm. claims. It doesn't matter as much if they care, they, if they understand your commitment to sustainability, if that's not the main point that you're selling, right? If you are an eco-friendly brand and you're like talking about how green your packaging is and how small your carbon footprint is, like those are the claims you need to be backing because that's yeah. the value you're sort of hanging your brand hat on. So you kind of got to do a little bit of brand soul searching to see like, what is it that we're really trying to make sure our audience believes mm. and trusts and sort of without that, none of these other claims would matter. And that's different for every brand. Um, but it is, it is key to understanding like, which are the claims that, that matter most to our audience in order for them to trust us. Yeah. You know, it's, I think it's pretty common to go on a company's website and see this kind of thing in action. You know, yeah. you can, they're making a claim that, you know, will increase your revenue by X percent, right? Or, mm -hmm. you know, the number of, of sales calls that you'll do yep. by this percent. And there'll be a number there. Yeah. It's the question. I mean, whenever I see that, where I'm always like, <laughs> where did that come from? I mean, you, you could just be kind of fudging that. Oh, yeah. Or maybe it's real, like, you know, yeah. so how, and, and I assume the answer, like, if you really want to build trust to be super transparent, like link that to your data source and be able to show like, yeah. here's how we got that. Exactly. Yeah. So that's exactly what we're looking for with Prove It is like, okay, I'm saying that, but have I provided any evidence? No. And that's where the doubt and the skepticism comes in. So a couple ways to tackle it, linking to, you know, a data source or a relevant case study is a really good way to do it. But it might be even better to replace that stat with a specific one. So rather than saying, 
we're going to increase your revenue by 44% or whatever to say, okay, well, when we worked with startup A, mm. we were able to increase their leads by X per month, X per week, by, you know, performance mm. by 47%, like make it specific. Not to say that you couldn't just make that up either. You know, if someone's going to be going to be deceptive, it's pretty hard to give them a, a playbook for how to do it right. But it's a little bit more believable when you see for this specific brand, here's the specific results we created. That's a lot mm. harder to make up because someone's accountable for that number. Someone's accountable at that brand, right? So right. Yeah. that specificity is sometimes like closer to the truth, closer to proof than just a generality. But yeah, linking out to a, a relevant case study of Startup X is, a, is another fantastic way to tackle it and really show how you did exactly that for them. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Well, of course, lots more to explore when it comes to, you know, proving your marketing claims, but that's the subject for a whole other episode. We, we might do a part two if you're up for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So for now, though, how can people connect with you? So if you want to learn more about me, the best bet, honestly, is to Google my name. As long as you spell it right, you're going to find me wherever you're looking. I'm the only one of me. But I'm on I'm on Twitter as M Diesel, and my website is storyfuel.co, storyfuel.co. Okay, excellent. And right, Diesel is spelled D-E-Z-I-E-L. That's I'm right. Reading it, reading it right off the cover of the book. <laughs> so, okay, well, Melody, thank you so much for a great conversation. And, and again, thanks for sending the book. Really enjoying reading it. So uh, thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.